1: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there.
2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike Garcia. Again, this is part two. If you haven't listened uh, to the previous pod, we're previewing the NBA draft. And the, the last pod was on guys who are most ready to contribute. This one is on hidden gems, right? And we're going to start at guys available at 22 or possibly available at 22. And then in the second part of the pod, we're going to go into Mike's specialty, which is nailing second round picks. He, he's always been great at finding the dudes that can... And contribute in the nba in the second round which is definitely a possibility we talked darius recently about the lakers uh, possibly trading for that third star and if they do that a trade down into the second round where you get a couple of guys on minimum contracts always a, a possibility so it's important we cover the second round and again mike is great at that the second round picks as well like they don't
3: make a lot of money and if the Lakers are going to potentially have to pay a third guy, you can get a dude for their minimum is much lower and trading down and sort of navigating the salary cap landscape is always something that's going to be on a general manager's mind. And I'm sure Rob Polinka's is going to be managing those spreadsheets appropriately.
2: Absolutely. And if in the process of doing that, you can find a THT or a Thomas Bryant or a Jordan Clarkson, that is a big win for an organization on a a number of levels. So we'll definitely get into that in the second half of the pod. But Mike, I know there are a few guys on the front end of this that have high upside that you're really into. Let's start with one, Jaden Springer, big physical guard out of Tennessee. I know you like him too. Tell us about Jaden Springer, Mike.
4: Jaden Springer is a 6'3 guard. He's a point of attack defender. I would argue that's that's what he does best. And as we mentioned in the he's so good at that. Yeah. as we mentioned in the prior pod, it's all about you know, athleticism, using your power and your physicality. He does that in spades at the point of attack where you don't need a secondary defender to help him out there, and he can still heat up the ball. I think that's my favorite aspect about him. Mm-hmm. On top of that, he's a see here i think he's a 43 and a half percent shooter on just under two attempts a game but when he gets ran off the line he goes into his comfort zone where he'll just do one quick change of direction advanced triple move get into the painted area uh, initiate the contact with the defender and he just shoots those mid-range 15 footers in the painted area with relative ease the two-point shooting percentage won't reflect that overall where i think Outside of the rim and everything else, he's around 34% in those areas. But his ability to play with physicality at the guard spot and still be an offensive threat while being that good of a defender from the jump and just keeping in mind he's still 18. It's almost like a THT situation all over again. That leads to a lot of upside, generally speaking, in terms of the NBA draft.
3: I love the idea of a point of attack defender. Um, I feel like... The Lakers' defense is predicated on being able to sort of defend not just strongly at the point, point of attack, but influence where the ball handler goes. And I'm wondering if you see that as a trait that springer has as well because it's it's one thing to sort of to heat up the ball and and say all right like you're going to be a dog up there and you're maybe going to force a guy to turn or turn his back to you or maybe even get live ball turnovers those those are great but There's a defensive IQ aspect to playing up there as well, like I'm going to turn you in this direction or I'm going to force you by positioning myself a certain way to go left or go right because I don't want you to use this screen. We want to influence you to go in this direction because that's what. That that's the way that our scheme is 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 set up to defend you in particular. And, and so do you see that in his defensive package as well?
4: What I like about Springer is while he has the physical tools, especially with the built upper body, a 6'7 plus wingspan, and his general aggression at the point of attack, he hasn't really been taught just yet to lean guys over one way or the other. We just understand him as a young player who has these tools, and we see what he can do. Now we have to add this extra element of, okay, we want to force uh, our opponent and shade him this direction. And by the way, you have Anthony Davis behind you. This is why we want to do it this particular way. Uh, Tennessee was more predicated defensively between him and another possible lottery pick in, in Keon Johnson. Between those two guys, really, and Eve Pons, who may or may not get drafted, those two guys took on the toughest wings and point of attacks, and they did very well in that, in that given situation. So when it comes to, say, defending screen roll, he has no problems going over the top. It's hard for him to get skinny. He isn't really that guy, but he's definitely capable of doing that. Now, if it's drop coverage, it's just easier for him to make that read, and he can just slide over, and that's not a problem either.
2: I would argue that in the limited tape of course that I've that I've watched him, of him that he is very good at getting skinny for a guy who can get physical right yeah. like there are some guys who can get skinny but when it comes to holding their ground against the shoulder bumps and the the elbows and you know switching against bigger players they can't do that right but for a guy who really can chest up and belly up on guys and really influence them without using his hands his ability to fight over the screens is is really impressive my question from watching tape on him is what is his offensive role right in that like I don't think I didn't see a ton of I think this guy is a primary ball handler at the NBA level, and you said he shot 43%, but only on two attempts, right? He's not a not a natural sniper type of guy. What do you see his offensive role being?
4: When I think of his offensive role, I think about how Talon Horton Tucker played against Houston when they were first in the playoffs, and he was more of that off-ball wing type where he wasn't shouldered with a ton of creation opportunity. When we're looking at player readiness and and changing roles sometimes the just keeping the same role from college and transferring into the nba makes the transition a ton easier but in that transition you want the guys to be able to be comfortable at what they do best is he going to take that three-point shot yes will he hesitate there is that possibility i'm not going to take it out right away but if he what if he decides to attack that closeout and find another shot within that mid-range area he's a ton more comfortable there and he's a just generally comfortable attacking the paint and even just finding a dump off for a roll man or towards the dunker spot as well.
3: Based off of his athletic tools, is he a good transition player? One of the things that I think about when I look at the Lakers is their want to sort of run and push push the pace. And I feel like, oh, he can finish in, in transition is sort of like a given at the NBA level. But some guys are actually better at it than others. They, they know how to pick their spots. They know how to run and fill a lane. They are active in sort of getting out in transition. And, and these are things that I think the Lakers have leveraged with guys like KCP and Alex Caruso and even Kuzma when, when he's at his best to sort of really transition well from defense to offense and What do you see in in terms of a transition game
4: with Springer? As much as I would love to see a sprinter like KCP flying down the line, he's not exactly that kind of sprinting kind of guard. Instead of speed, you get more power and physicality. That's what he's comfortable with. Most of the season last year at Tennessee, he was more of a two-foot jumper, so he had a lot of controlled landings. But what I thought was interesting was at the draft combine, they were showing some footage of him doing one foot jumping towards the rim and being able to extend and finish. And that for him would be a big difference in terms of shot variation at the rim. And he looked very comfortable with it. It looked like he transitioned quickly, kind of like how Brandon Ingram had that development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think in his is first or second year, except Ingram didn't have that kind of strength Springer already has it. So he's more of a guy that is willing to, take the physicality at the rim and still be able to convert. That's what I like out of his uh, ability in transition.
2: Yeah, that's something about him where he's still very young and to yeah. be that physical at that age, right, before you've got any of that really grown man strength at all is is really intriguing. He's a player I'm, I'm very much intrigued by. Another one, however, just in terms of uh, I want to root for that dude, guy that we brought in, Nishan Bones Highland. Man, I... <laughs> nobody's got a better energy than this guy, right? I think you described it in your wonderful sub stack. If you haven't, please subscribe to Mike's Substack. That's very Lakers specific draft information. Great stuff. You described it as him having the best inner Chi in the NBA draft, but he's more than just, just that, right? Like talk to us about, about Bones Highland.
4: Bones lives up to his nickname. He's about a six feet guard who looks 170 pounds soaking wet, but what I love about that inner G quote is you see this skinny guy, really lanky frame, and he doesn't look like he can generate any kind of power. And yet he has no problem shooting from 25 feet, 30 feet. Sometimes he's off the screen, which is really hilarious to see. And sometimes it's off the dribble, catch and shoot. There may be a defender, maybe not, but he's comfortable in all of those situations. And we talked about shot energy transfer in the prior pod, He's the complete inverse of what Kessler Edwards does from a base. Bones doesn't really jump high, but that transfers all the way to the shot release. And he has range confidence and he's able to do it off the dribble. So he's a really fun electrifying player to watch.
2: Yeah. Really good pull-up shooter, right? Like it gotta, uh, how, how is his handles? How can he, can he get into his shot in a way where he doesn't need that creation from someone else?
4: When I think of Bones Highland, the first, initial, in terms of player comparison that I think of is Jamal Crawford when he was younger. When we think of Jamal Crawford, we see the guy that he does isolation moves, gets the space, and then he gets a shot off. But in Jamal Crawford's case, it's more of a official jump shot as to Highland where it's more about him creating the space, get my one or two feet away from the defender, and then it's a little bit more of a set shot. He just doesn't get a ton of verticality, but he can do it with range. And I think he's trying to compensate that jump shot verticality with range on a shot because chances are defenders are not going to space on that tight when it's 25 to 30 feet out where he's completely comfortable.
2: All right, Mike, who else that you think may be available around the 22 spot that kind of fits this hidden gem or player with upside type of description?
4: Josh Christopher is a Los Angeles local as well.
2: Big Laker fan. He had a great Big Laker uh, course, fan. Yep. post-workout interview. Mm-hmm. And he played for
4: Arizona State When I looked at his stat line on Sports Reference, it's okay, it's fine. He's worth paying attention to. But then I dove a little bit deeper into his background where his dad is a musician and he has several brothers and they're all hoopers and ball handling is the primary thing in that family. So when I watched the Arizona tape again, I rethought Oh, this is why he shoots like he does. He's an aggressive ball handler. He has a lot of creativity on the ball. Really strong upper body frame, so he's able to withstand contact, especially a shoulder hit, and finish all the way through. He's converting at, well, Tom Horton Tucker finished at 71% at the rim at the collegiate level. Josh Christopher finishes at 72.5%. That's a ridiculous finishing ability, and he's just able to create shots Anywhere on the floor, what there might be reservation about him is that improvisational ability where he might go outside of the context of the offense a little bit and seek out his own shot instead of playing within a certain frame of hey, this guy's open, or well, I'm I got this contested shot, this is in my bag, I'm gonna pull it and I'm taking this. But he has so much talent and natural skill with the ball that it's hard to ignore.
3: When I think of players like that, that's not always a bad thing right especially as a bench and reserve player and i think about where some of the lakers needs might lie not just next season because we're talking about more like future prospect types right but there is a i feel like there's a want to always look for who can play now versus like okay well how can we bring this skill set along to be a contributing player on any type of winning team and and that doesn't mean oh you have to be a three and d player or someone who can defend at a high level sometimes it's like hey we need a bucket and who can go get us one of those and even if that's not next season if it's two seasons from now or three seasons from, from, from now developing that guy who can be like a teen scorer off, off of the bench, those guys still have value, even if their value can sometimes diminish during, well, well, during the playoffs, we forget that building a team isn't just a, let's go get 16 wins in, in the playoffs. You have to navigate a full season of NBA basketball and get guys reps and, and all of that. And so when you think, when you talk about a guy like, like Christopher, like I don't really mind hearing that, Oh, he can color outside the lines a little bit. Like if you do it too much, that can be problematic for sure. But that's what coaching is for, right. To rein that, that in and, and, and channel that appropriately.
4: Absolutely. Uh, the creativity is really a difficult Part to find in terms of the ncaa prospects altogether you're just really trying to find a guy who's going to make the league and within the lakers team context it's actually that much more difficult because they're in the middle of a championship run but at the same time you're looking for a guy well he can handle the ball he can create his own shot he's got nba size he's tremendous downhill i'm gonna take a chance on that he's absolutely worth that the first round pick in that kind of case
2: all right let's take a a quick break and when we come back uh we're gonna ask mike about a player type that we haven't covered yet it's funny darius you just sent me that that message i had the same thought right we're gonna get into some lob threats and then uh some of mike's favorite hidden gems in the second round when we come back uh after the break if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start hustle is the perfect place for you as part of the program you'll receive personal cover art access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: So yeah, Mike, we have covered a lot of wings, some guards, uh, but not really any big men. Who are the, the lob threat and just the various big men types that you think kind of fit what we do with the Lakers?
4: There are two bigs that stand out, especially around the 22 pick or possibly later. Uh, one of them is De'Ron Sharp and the other one is Jericho Sims. Uh, let me just start with Dayron. Dayron played for Montfort High School alongside Cade Cunningham. That high school team was an absolute powerhouse. So when I'm watching Dayron Sharp, he does a lot of the little things as well as being a lob threat as well. And when it comes to Jericho Sims out of Texas, not only is he insane lob threat, I think he recorded a 44-inch max vert along with a 7'3 plus wingspan and all of that. But his tape also shows his ability to switch defensively and actually contain some guards and point of and other wings as well along the perimeter.
3: Texas is an interesting school when it comes to big men. So they produce Jared Allen. Um, they also have the kid from New Orleans. His name just jumped right out of my head right now. Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes as well, right? And so they have a history, a recent history of producing NBA level big men. Um, who can contribute sometimes earlier than what you might think from them and guys who do go in the latter half of the first round a lot of times or project to be there. Does Sim sort of, is his profile similar to his to his Longhorn predecessors or is he a different mold of, of big men for like the uninitiated?
4: Jackson Hayes was more of a incredibly flexible center with very unique athletic traits. I think his game is more along the lines of Jared Allen, where you're looking for more of a classic five that is able to rebound, protect the rim, and maybe show some versatility in terms of uh, switchability defensively. But especially in Sim's case, he has a tremendous catch radius. He catches the ball at the top of the backboard square, sometimes higher, and he's able to meet the rim at eye level. When you have a verticality threat to that kind of level especially with the kind of weight he carries. I think he's around 250 or 260 pounds and that kind of general athleticism overall, it just adds another dimension to verticality that Hayes may not have in terms of that kind of height and that Jaren Allen doesn't have with that kind of power. So that's what makes him specifically unique.
2: Mike, I wanna go back to, uh, to Sharp real quick before we move on to some of your favorite hidden gems. Outside of his abilities as a lob threat, I know he offers more, and you alluded to that. I'd like to hear you get a little more into that, like kind of beyond just the what you would typically expect of a lob threat rim protector type. Like, what else does he bring to the table? So what makes
4: Daron Sharp unique out of the other fives at the NCAA level is he has an ability to pass the ball. Usually, uh, I look at Sports Reference and I'll look at assist rates because we don't think of lob threats or just big men in general just kicking out passes to any shooter or anything. Sharp, on the other hand, he kicks out to shooters and cutters both alike to the point where his assist rate, I think, is like 15.9%, and it's just a tick below his turnover rate. Usually you're just trying to break one-to-one, but the fact that he's aware of what's going on on the floor offensively and he's seeing what his team is able to do and create advantage out of that makes him a step different. Much to his advantage in terms of just being just a typical lob threat altogether.
3: When you talk about his passing, is that more from the elbows or like in delay sets from the top of the key area and his feel as a passer?
4: I saw a lot more out of elbow and top of the key, uh, just finding cutters along the baseline. Sometimes you'll see him out of offensive rebounding situations and then just immediately Mm -hmm. find the open shooter. It's more opportunistic to get it out of an offensive rebound for sure, but it's not always easy to find that immediate open man for that quick shot. So Dayron has that, and it really helped in his case where he played for Montford with Kate Cunningham and the high school all-stars, and they were a press team. They ran a lot, and he was able to facilitate to their talents, and that facilitation carried over into North Carolina, and I definitely think he can carry over to the NBA level as well.
2: Yeah, the fact that he's doing that instinctually, right, like out of offensive rebounds, out of scramble plays and things like that speaks to a level of talent that isn't so much built into a system, but more translatable to whatever style of play that you have. All right, Mike, this is the part I've really been looking forward to because, again, you got a great history on this front. But who are some of the guys that are projected the second round, even to undrafted free agency, that this year you're pounding the table for them going like, this guy is going to be a contributor in the NBA. They're going to have a career.
4: One guy I wanted to mention is Austin Reeves out of Nebraska. He's oh, being- yes,
2: you love you some Reeves, yes. yes.
4: So, uh, it's been mentioned before about how the Lakers play with power, and he's such an aggressive player as a 6'4 guard. He only has a 6'6 wingspan, and I think he's 23 years old. But what makes him unique is at, out of Wichita State, he was a catch-and-shoot role player and shot tremendously well behind the arc. Then at Nebraska, he was given a ton more responsibility as a lead initiator And even though some of those opportunities look a little loud, he's getting a 56% free throw rate. And a lot of his three-point shots are done off the dribble, and he's doing lead initiating and showing some advanced passing. So he just plays with a certain level of aggression and plays up to his physicality, and he brings that all the way to the rim. Another guy I like is Joel Oyayi. He plays off the ball tremendously well. I watched Gonzaga UCLA all over again, and he doesn't require a ton of touch time but he brings gravity with him as a cutter and as a three-point shooter. And that's just really, really hard to find. I wish he had better physicality in terms of pick and roll defense. He can't exactly get slim. So when that screen comes, he's gone, right? But as an off-ball defender, as someone who can force turnovers one pass away and whatnot, he's still a 6'5 guard with a 6'7 wingspan who has an outside shot of maybe defending twos at the next level as well. That would be a great gift for the Lakers as well. And then lastly, I really wanted to mention B.J. Boston. Uh, I know he's gone through a lot with what happened with, uh, with Terrence Davis, unfortunately, in the, in the car accident. And the Kentucky year wasn't that great. But what makes B.J. Boston a good prospect, especially in this range, is when you look at that high school tape, you see his ball handling ability and shot creation behind the arc. And sometimes it's hard to find. And he's, he's able to shift around a little bit. He still is 6'7 wing, that's 190 pounds, and he closed out the season, I want to say the last 10 games of the year, shooting around 42% behind the yard. So he's not this dynamic dunker that's just doing it in transition all the time. Hey, we've seen this three-point shooting before, and we know you can do it.
2: Mike, he was a guy that was a year ago considered a potential lottery pick, right?
4: Yes, Absolutely.
2: What happened there? What what turns him from that into a, you know, potential 22 pick or even second round pick?
4: Washington, Kentucky is not always easy. Uh, not, all, every player gets, <laughs> not every player
2: gets put into their most comfortable context we've seen guys break out in the NBA, right? Like guys who did not really thrive at Kentucky all of a sudden, like, who's this guy? Where did he come from? That happens from Kentucky guys, I think more often than other schools.
4: Exactly. I, I think I remember Devin Booker altogether. He was a fifth option on offense at Kentucky and he was just known as a spot-up shooter. And then <laughs> we, we watch his workout. And all of a sudden he shows this ball handling ability. And it was like, wait a second, you just got, you know, roughed up playing Sam Decker in the tournament. Where'd this guy come from? And then, few years later down the line, now look where Booker is. So when it comes to B.J. Boston and how he plays, he might be flashing some of that at today's workout. Hopefully he does. It's great. Um, He was trying to demonstrate that extended uh, 25 to 30-foot range during the Clutch Pro Day the other day as well. Um, I know it was a tough day for him, but just the fact that he's trying to extend that range and he's trying to hit pretty well from that range and he's comfortable aggressively attacking the rim... Eventually, down the line, there's there's something in there that you can believe is going to work out in the NBA, and he can be that NBA wing next level.
3: Well, I mean, you brought up Booker, but more recent examples are Emmanuel Quickly and Tyron Maxey, right? Both of those guys were Kentucky players, and they fell in the draft, basically, right? I, I mean— quick quickly went right around where the Lakers are drafting this year when he went to to the Knicks I I think he was drafted what 21st or 23rd and Maxi I think went 19th or something like that to to Philly but around this same range right and so it's not out of the question to see Kentucky guards maybe go lower or in the back half of of, well, of the first round and then end up surprising or playing above that draft level when they get to
4: the NBA. In the cases of Maxi and Quickly, I think what happened is it makes it a lot easier to play the same role or scale down in terms of responsibility. Maxi was always known as this incredible slasher that can finish at the rim and just defend along the perimeter, especially at point of attack. Quickly was also more of that off-ball 3-and-D kind of player for Kentucky then, and he's kind of doing the same thing for the Knicks now. He's not really shouldering that heavy initiating load. Uh, that may be down in the cards for him down the line, including Maxi as well, but when rookies, rookie players are playing that similar role that they're comfortable in and they know where they can get their shots, they know what positions they'd be on, uh, where to be on the floor and where to pass to, especially within their specific roster, it just makes a transition that much easier for sure.
2: So, Mike, to bring us home, is there any anyone else, uh, whether it's Hidden Gem, already established guy, anyone else that comes to your mind that we haven't discussed that, that you really want to talk about? I'll
4: briefly mention Sharif Cooper only because he's a very unique prospect. Okay. It's rare to see a point guard who's six foot or so and mm-hmm. weighs the same as me. I'm a buck sixty-something now.
2: Uh-huh. The free and throw tip? <laughs>
4: this guy, I think he... I think he has a 52% free throw rate,
2: maybe higher. He he shot what, like 8.6 free throws per game as just like this tiny dude getting the bucket great passer as well. And the thing is, he had lob
4: targets at at Auburn. He had two of them, so he could rack up assists. But it's how he times those passes, which makes it unique. It's one dribble left-hand lob. And, oh, I'm just evading a screen. Oh, that's it? You don't need to, you know, carve your own space, not even a little bit. And he just makes these passes within really small windows, and they're accurate to their lob targets, and it makes great. What else is unique about him is he's just really able to get at least one or two feet in the paint on a drive, and that's what leads to those free throw rates. Now, when he starts decelerating towards the hoop, that's where he gets into trouble. He doesn't have the length or the athleticism to really compensate and finish dynamically at the rim. But he's a guy that can set up his teammates really well, He's, I mean, player comparison, it's almost like Trey Young level passing where one hand off the dribble, left hand, one hand off the dribble, right hand, uh, either hand off of advanced dribble, I can do these things. Now, he doesn't have the three-point gravity, he may not have the unique finishing, but he has enough craft within his ball handling to be shifty with the, uh, against the point of attack defender and set up that pass. That's what makes him unique, especially.
3: When you talked about the skill level there, one of the things that comes to mind to me is feel, is feel for for the game. And so this is more of a personal thing that I, that if I were drafting, this would be a trait that I look for in, in, well, in players. And, and so out of all of the guys that you've mentioned to us over the last couple of pods, um, whether it's a hidden gem or whether it's one of the top, or better prospects that that really could be available at, at 22 as a more ready contributor, do any of them stand out to you as like, this is a real high basketball IQ guy? Because I think that one of the ways that you can fit in with the Lakers is being a thinker of the game, right? And, and we've seen that from Alex Caruso and um, as a young player, but, you know, when you talk about a team with LeBron James and, and And even Anthony Davis. And then you go back to the championship team with like Rajon Rondo or even a Jared Dudley, like the ability to sort of think the game at a certain level can get you in the door as well. Um, And so is that of all of the prospects that, that we've discussed, do any of them stand out in that way to you?
4: In terms of basketball field, basketball field to me is what comes intuitive and naturally to a player maybe instinctive, maybe it's a natural talent. Out of all the players that we've listed, that has to be Sharif Cooper. It comes very easily to him. He can hit those open targets at the rim and kick out to the corners. And my hesitation is he was incredibly high usage as a player. I think he was over 32% usage, which is abnormally high for NCAA level. But he knows the open man, whether or not he has the ball. And I think that's really unique. So even if he's a pass connector, he can maintain the advantage or extend the advantage along the offensive end, which is critical, especially in the playoff setting. So, yes, my answer is definitely Sharif Cooper in that specific case.
2: And Cooper is an option at twenty-two, right? Rather than a second-round pick, he's (laughs) he's he's all over the
4: place. But yeah, uh, I might have him as high as lottery, but I can hope that he gets there at twenty-two.
2: <laughs> okay. Sure. Sure. No, that's great to know. Mike, thank you so much for educating us and getting us up to speed over these last two pods. Please tell everybody where we can find your work. Sure. Uh
4: my Twitter handle is at Canyon Driver and I started a Substack at the end of June. It's LakersDraft.substack.com. Uh please feel free to subscribe. There's no fear or anything like that. I'm just doing this as a passion project, and it's been super fun to do
2: this season. This is great, Mike. Thank you so much for for your help. We will be back. Next pod will be after the draft. We'll see who we brought in. Hopefully, one of the many players that we covered here. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
3: James has got it in low to Mikhail. Mikhail wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They
1: That next to the winner, it's on the left no! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his 8th block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance in, right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding hit. me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
3: Kobe Bryant picked
1: up by Bell. There's, There's the, the move. Go. Two, it's one. This it! Unbelievable. <laughs> it's over. I got out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah! yeah. putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. mypatriotsupply.com